Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast and getting a chance to chat with some friends here today about AI and about being able to find some space and time to implement that into an entire district systemically. And so that's a conversation that I'm not sure every district is really at just yet, but they were way out in front with this. Uh, and so we're going to get the opportunity today to capture uh, what's been going on in Wichita Public Schools uh, with the 50,000 students that are there and hopefully some lessons learned, uh, both from that district-wide level and implementation, uh, but getting to a place as well where we start to talk about what that has looked like for practices and digital literacy. And so uh, I am really excited uh, to introduce and welcome Rob Dixon, who's the Chief Information Officer at Wichita Public Schools, along with Diane Smokorowski, Coordinator of Digital Literacy and Digital Citizenship at Wichita Public Schools. She's also the 2013 Kansas Teacher of the Year, 2019 National Teacher Hall of Fame inductee. We've got some great folks on the pod today. Welcome to the Good Life EDU. Howdy, howdy. It's good to see you, Andrew. Good to see you both as well. I, I'm going to set this up a little bit of a backstory. We're going to let Rob tell his uh, history and education. And then we'll also let Diane sort of share uh, not only some of the experiences that she's had to this point, but we'll let Rob take it away, though, to start things off. Thanks, Andrew. I have been in education 24 years. Started in Kansas, actually, and got to spend some time with Smoke over that time frame. And in 2014, moved to Omaha and uh, was executive director of IMS in Omaha Public Schools, so I was in charge of both instructional technology and technology and started Omaha Virtual School, one of the main virtual schools in Nebraska. And uh, then uh, in 2019, decided to come back to Wichita. I kept jabbing at Smoke to come over and join me here in Wichita Public Schools. And so uh, it took a year, but she came over. And since then, we've just been rocking and rolling. Well, can I just say, Diane, can we just refer to you as Smoke for the podcast Absolutely. too? Okay, Absolutely. that feels a little more natural, <laughs> having gotten the introductions out of the way. Uh, and so, yeah, I got a chance to get to know Rob through Eileen Heller, who's at ESU3. Uh, I know that they both had the opportunity to work together for a season as well. And so, Diane, uh, sorry, Smoke, go ahead and give your introduction if you would, please. Well, this is my 26th year in education. I have taught in rural urban and suburban school districts now. I generally come from middle school language arts in one hand and the other hand, instructional education technology coach. So I've spent more time in ed tech than I have in the actual classroom, but they overlap. So some days I get to be a kindergarten support person and other days I work in high school English. You just never know where I'm going to be. But my passions are global collaborative projects where we link kids around the world to, to solve world problems or project-based learning. Uh, I love to see how teachers can take real-world situations, tie them to their content area, and allow students to make impact either locally or globally. But being in the Wichita Public Schools, I'm now leading the EdTech team, and I just get to nerd out with all teachers, and especially with the guy down the hall, Rob Dixon. Love that. And it was fun. Recently, I was going through emails and reading articles and being nerdy like I can be. And all of a sudden, I came across this title uh, from Ed Week that said, ChatGPT is everywhere in this district. Here's what it looks like. And this was from Caitlin Meisner. Uh, and as I started reading on, I was like, wait, wait, 
there's Rob's name. Oh, oh, and there's there's smoke as well uh, in the article as you're quoted for some of the practices. And I got so excited for the two of you and to, and to hear the story that I was like, we got to get them on the podcast. We got to learn from them as well. And so with that backstory, I guess, Rob, can you set up how this came about that Wichita Public Schools arrived at a place where they were opening up generative AI to the educators? You know, I would say it in the very beginning of this, I think it's important to notice that I get to help change both the uh, wires and pliers side and the instructional technology side. And here I also oversee Education Imagine Academy, which is our virtual school. So there's that instructional side. So I think that allows the grind not to happen so much that you see in other districts where you might have an instructional technology and the technology department that is separate. And sometimes you'll see innovation happen on the instructional technology side, trying to get through compliance on the wires and pliers side. So I think that helps drive some of this change uh, many times because I, you know, I have an interest in everything new, right? And so in November of this last year, I remember my superintendent at the time, Alicia Thompson, she's amazing. Her and Gil Alvarez, who's our deputy suit, they called me up and they're like, hey, Rob, have you heard about this GPT thing? Like this thing is going to take over the world. They're at a Bill Daggett conference on rigor and relevance. So I said, yeah, I know what GPT is, but I had not experienced the chat piece of that yet. And it was very soon after that, that chat GPT ended up initially coming out. And I, I had subscribed and got into it before they had opened it up to everyone else. So got to play and toy around with it. And for myself, I was completely blown away by the impact of even some of the, I've kept some of the prompts that were in November that I did. And I've regenerated those prompts and completely different answers because it's learning from us. And I don't think even today, I realize what impact it will likely have on education today. And smoke, she's always innovative and always looking for how this can affect the classroom. And I think that chemistry together just helps flow things through. You know, we started in January training staff on how to use ChatGPT. And since then, we've obviously evolved into even other resources that utilize AI. Smoke, as a part of those trainings in January, I'm sure, and as they were ongoing throughout the continued support through the spring of last school year, what was your experience in your role with onboarding teachers and and maybe even on a personal level? Sure. I really was a little bit looking at the possibilities of AI similarly to what I do when I jump into Google search. There is a lot of engineering that goes into developing a really great query to put into Google. And not a lot of people know those filters like site colon, S-I-T-E, and then the colon, and then search in a certain web domain. Can get to your answers quicker. Or if you're going to be looking for specific things in text, how you can find microfish and all kinds of things in Google. I have lived in that world since its beginning, grown up as an educator with Google as it started in 98. That was the year I had little smoke and I was learning to be a teacher all at the same time. So we had just been embedded in that space. So when AI came around, I looked at it with that same lens of what needs to be put into the product in order to get the results that you want. 
And so it was a really interesting approach of like, what if I add this? What if I added an element over here? What if I tweaked my wording this way and use those skill sets that I'd had with the Google environment to see what it would do? Well, it didn't take, but maybe five minutes that it was like this giant wow of like, wait a minute, this just accelerated everything that I was doing in web searches by at least 80%. Think about it this way, Andrew, if I am going to develop something for my middle school language arts class and I'm working on figurative language, I have ideas, I've done things I've used over and over, but you know, you wanna refresh things on time. So I did a little Google search and I investigated figurative language. Of course, what am I going to get results of? A whole heap of results of things that's going to cost me if I want to go into teacher purchased areas to buy things, or I can find things that links are dead, or I can find things that need to maybe give me some inspiration, but I'm definitely going to be spending an hour-ish plus to get that information. When it took only about 45 seconds to get what I was looking for. It was almost as though I had jumped on a rocket ship of awesome for educators and said, there is something magical here. I am going to get my time back, find more inspiration. And because my wheels keep turning all the time, not only can I get my inspiration going, then I was able to rabbit hole into the areas I wanted to really enhance in the classroom and created something that was pretty dynamic within five minutes and said, no, this is the game we need to be playing. And so that's where my passion jumped in. And uh, Andrew, I'll tell you, you know, if you have found yourself using a tool almost every single day, you know that your whole work life focus has shifted. We did the same thing when we started with Google that, hey, you know, do you remember Yahoo Answers? I mean, just stop and think about it, right? We had to go into um, like American Civil War, battles, generals. I mean, you had to go all down these rabbit holes to get to the answer. Well, when we figured out that Google could do that much more effectively, then we all switched and became dependent upon that ability to search effectively. I became pretty much 100% into that AI experience, not using it for everything, but using pieces of it every single day before March. So that was less than six weeks and have found that I still use it multiple times a day. Wow. And what a time saver. So I love that your response there kind of teased that out because I think that that is so imperative given the breadth of, I would say, not only just initiatives, but responsibilities that teachers and all educators have on their plates on a regular basis. And in, in addition to that, you were talking about prompts. And one of the things that I feel like in my opportunities to chat with educators about this is just getting away from that thinking as you're talking about of here's how I interact with the Google search. But now we're in a longitudinal conversation that can evolve and be refined uh, over a series of back and forth. And we are going to have an upcoming episode with Amanda Bickerstaff that's going to focus on prompts. And so for people listening in that want uh, that conversation, we're going to capture that in the not too distant future. Uh, and so a question that I have then, because it sounds like there in March, you're already on board. <laughs> Let's do this. And the article spoke to uh, some chat GPT summer camps that took place uh, ahead of this school year. And so maybe back to Rob real quick, how talk about that uh, first identifying that need and deciding then what those camps look like and give us a little window into that. I'd love to learn more about what onboarding looks like in Wichita public schools. Yeah. So 
One of the things I would say the professional development looks like in Wichita Public Schools is completely different than I've seen in any other district that I've been in. We have the benefits of Friday Learn Labs where our coaches on most Fridays during the school year get at least a half day, if not a full day of professional development. And uh, so Smoke, we have 12 Verizon Innovative Learning Schools. I had brought Verizon Innovative Learning to Omaha Public Schools whenever I was in Omaha. And whenever I came here, I was like, hey, let's apply for as many as we can apply for. We got 12 and they gave us 12. So it was, it was amazing to get that. So we have 12 Bills coaches and Smoke gets to oversee those coaches. So every single Friday, that is a full Friday in the week, most Fridays then, she gets access to those coaches to give them professional development. So you can imagine how fast in all of these middle schools that technology gets rolled out and is intentional at the same time, right? So in the summertime, whenever we do a professional development, Smoke always has a tech summit. And, uh, you know, it's something that we fund and hope that teachers come to. We get a great turnout. This last summer, it was at Southeast High, and uh, we had the uh, Kansas Educational Commissioner come and speak, Randy Watson, pretty great dude. And uh, he's got some interesting perspectives on education, which I think are very progressive. Like if you were to look at education commissioners across the United States, I'd say Randy has a great insight on personalized learning. Whenever you think about redesign and what he's done over the last couple of years, it's it's very much around where I think schools need to go to, especially skills-based, thinking that kids may not go directly to college, but they will likely go directly into the workforce in some manner, if especially if it affects uh, with technology skills, right? So it aligns everything with what we do. And these teachers, the one thing that if you ask them if they could have more of would be time. And this tool very much, I mean, I could tell you the policies that we've done, the, all kinds of documents. Heck, I submitted a National Science Foundation grant yesterday with Wichita State University, and I would say 70% of it was assisted with AI in some way. So whenever you think about all those things that we do and we spend tons of time on and teachers spend that time on, a summer camp is just a drop in the bucket of the professional development that they need. And it was actually divided into two sections. Tech Summit was at the very beginning of the summer, and that was with teachers right here in, in our school district. And we had around 100 teachers that came. We spent significant amount of time during that conference around AI. We even had representatives come in from Canva because folks, I don't know if you're aware, the magic right inside of Canva is a tremendous use of AI. So we had sessions available for that. I created a, <laughs> we call it chat stations with AI sort of experience where teachers got a basic overview of how chat GPT works, just a basic. And then there were stations that they could pop into with challenges such as write an email to a colleague you're proud of. And with you know, kind of some suggestions of prompt engineering with that or design a game for students to cover some new vocabulary in your classroom and how you could adjust that so it wouldn't be the same old, same old kind of game that we've used in the classroom, but shake it up a bit. So that happened. Then in July, we ran EdCamp Kansas, and that not only brought in 
people from our own district in, that's where Dr. Watson, as well as teachers from all over the state came in and we had conversations around AI and it's just wildfired from there. In the midst of those interactions, what were some of the early takeaways that, because anytime you lead some sort of uh, professional learning opportunity, facilitate those uh, experiences, themes come up and uh, yeah, you just reflect and have takeaways that inform your ability to better support folks thereafter. And so for those listening in that are maybe inspired by this as an example and would like to do something similar, uh, how can you maybe help them through some of those first attempts to speak to that? Well, Donnie Piercy, who's a Kentucky Teacher of the Year, was featured on Good Morning America this past winter around using ChatGPT as a whole class activity with his, with his fifth graders. And he's just recently published a book around AI in the classroom. And my favorite line of the whole thing is right at the beginning, which tells a story of how do you introduce teachers? I won't spoil it, so you have to go in and check it out. But it's basically of like question marks, curiosity, and then bam, impact. Like, wait a minute, there's something to this, right? He says it with a much more clever approach, but I encourage you to go explore that. I would say that we get a lot from the secondary level is first, is this cheating? That's, that's a, becomes a big question. And then the next step is, I don't really understand it. Is this the overlords? Is it the Terminator? Is it minority report sort of a deal? So we take a breath there and explain how large language models work. And then they're like, okay. And then we walk in and show them how they can write a letter of correspondence to another person or a letter of recommendation for a student or have a conversation around new personal goals, whatever that may be. And then that's where the light bulbs start clicking into play. When you jump into something like, how can we design a game-based approach to learning a concept in your classroom, then the real magic starts to pique their interest and we roll with it. That seems to be kind of the same trend that we're seeing over and over again. Cautious, question mark, nervous, question mark again with curiosity, and then, wow, how do I do it? That's kind of the trend I've seen. Rob, anything different? You know, I would say it really depends on their level of awareness. I think if you were in January when we started doing staff, I remember walking over to Curtis Middle School and Tana, who's on our instructional team, and I did a chat GPT for the staff meeting. And some of the folks hadn't, you know, in January, may have not read the news or anything else or any impact. They may have heard it once, right? And so when you're showing this stuff, they go through all the levels of decision-making, right? The ups, the, oh, this is great. Oh my gosh, this is not good. This is horrible, you know? And then, then I think there's an understanding that comes out of that, that whole process. Today, I think it's different. Most people have had some exposure to it. So the whole process of that becomes very different when they've used it every day. I mean, heck, it's built into most of the apps we have now, Snapchat or anything else anybody does socially. If you post on LinkedIn today, there's an AI component that's trying to help you post. And uh, AI has always been there, right? This is the first time we've interacted with it in this type of way. Just like Netscape Navigator was our way of interacting with the internet in 1994. This is our way of interacting with AI. It just has been, it's been behind the scenes the whole time. It's been powering Amazon, it's been powering YouTube, all the things. And now we get to interact with it intentionally. 
Well, I want to pull a little something from each of those responses here. And so uh, as Smoke was talking about, it's important to uh, onboard educators to un an understanding of how the technology works. A uh, portion of that, which Robbie mentioned earlier, is uh, that the user provides feedback and the technology learns and is able to respond more accurately to the prompt over time. And then your most recent comment there too about for individuals who are concerned, it tends to be a concern with regards to student information, student work, uh, and those types of things. And so I know that there's, for example, Codebreaker Byte out there that educators could use with students because it doesn't have that piece that feeds the system. Uh, how does that work in Wichita Public Schools? What I read from the article was that ChatGPT was where it, the conversation started, but that you've moved to Bing Enterprises. And, and so maybe if you could take a moment, Rob, to speak to the reason for that and the benefits. Yeah, as the FERPA officer for the district, you know, and you think about data privacy, all kinds of red flags can come up for someone if they've not done their work in trying to educate people on how to use these prompts. So, A, if you're using some type of public GPT, you want to make sure that you're not utilizing student data. And it's it's important that we don't help train data that's outside of our of our walls. With that, and so when, as I'm a teacher, if I have you know a table or something, and I want some type of uh, output out of that, it's important not to have uh, student information out outside of directory information inside of that. One of the good things that I think Microsoft has done is obviously invested heavily in GPT and OpenAI, and bringing being enterprise chat. So if you are uh, M365, and I believe it's E3 and above you get the availability of having being enterprise chat in your tenant. And so that is a closed version of GPT, that, uh, basically GPT-4, which is the paid version that if you were in chat GPT. And you get that being enterprise chat. What's amazing about that is that data stays within the tenant and is not used to train any of the data outside of it. And for those that trying to implement it, it does take a couple of days for it to propagate across your tenant. But then you can then utilize data. If I'm a teacher and I want to grab my gradebook data or any other and get some insight out of it, absolutely. You could copy and paste that data. And in the top right-hand corner, it says that it's secured um, over the chat. It notifies you that anything placed in this chat window is secured. So I think it's important to note there are a lot of tools out there, but you know when you think about data privacy, and I think we need to be more mindful of that as these students don't get the choice whether you put their data out there or not. And I think it's important to, to keep that in mind. Well, and you're so blessed to have smoke in your district who is going to be able to, to be there in support of thinking about how we communicate this out to educators and to students, right, with your digital literacy role. Uh, and so can you speak to that a little bit? You know, what I find really exciting about this is, one, the accelerator element, right? For example, my husband is a cyclist, loves to ride his bike 30, 50 miles, and he keeps saying, Mrs. Smoke, it's time to go and ride. And I'm more of like an eight to nine mile an hour ride bike experience, and he's more of a 16 to 17 mile an hour bike experience. And so I'm just like, sweetie, it's all good. I'll see you when you get home. It's fine. And he says, Mrs. Smoke, you need an e-bike. And I said, nobody needs an e-bike. No, 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 you do. Because you still have to pedal. You still have to put the energy in, but it's going to accelerate you so that you can keep up with me and we can go for long distance rides together. 
And I, I kind of laugh at him because, you know, the cost of said things just makes me giggle. But number two, he has a point, you know, when I ride an e-bike or I am trying to make copies using a copy machine, these are all accelerators. I can hand do all those things or I can accelerate them using these resources, right? That's all that this AI tool does is it accelerates us in what we are trying to accomplish. But you still have to put the work in. There's there's a lot of work to that. And there's a lot of, I want to say, divergent thinking that you need to consider when you are using one of these tools in the fact that you have to think like an engineer when you're doing your prompting. You have to think about your classroom space as someone who, who believes in personalized learning, who understands UDL. You need to think like that in order to use these tools and get the best effective results out of them. So we have incredible educators all across this country, amazing humans who are doing incredible things with and without technology. That is a full stop truth. Having the accelerators move us so that we can get to what we want to design with students at a faster rate allows me to use more energy to focus on time with the students one-on-one. -on -one. It's not gonna do everything for me, right? It's not gonna do all of my grading. It's not going to tell a student, sweetie, I can see you that you're in need today and you need some extra support. Maybe we need to talk to somebody who can help you. It will never do those elements. What it does for me, however, is become the personal assistant that I need. Just like if I tell Siri, remind me tomorrow at 7 a.m. to bring this item to work so that I have it in my office when I need it. I now have a thought partner that could be, I want to design an experience for students that allows the priority of voice and choice with my students in this activity. We're covering figurative language. I would like students to have voice and choice in how they demonstrate understanding. I would like them to co-create a rubric with me, but I need to build the scaffolds to do that. Friends, that is the same thing we're doing as talking great pedagogy. Co-constructivist approach of creating a rubric is powerful, powerful pedagogy. Having the opportunity to design for all the needs of my classroom, that's good teaching. I just need an accelerator to help me get to that end product faster. That's what it does. All of that is digital literacy, knowing what to put into the tool, knowing how to look at it critically, knowing how to build it as a thought partner. All of that requires a literacy that is quite possible to get to quickly if you just have some guidance along the way. I think if you were to like project out five years, 10 years, that digital assistant is with that student along the way. I'm a huge atomic habits person. And I think it's those time frames that something can come in and say, hey, in your life as a student, as a kid, here's a goal that you said you wanted to do. Here's here's how you can get there. And I think it's that frequency of continuous conversation of improvement that I think our teachers don't have that window into a kid's life all the time. But if something that was trained on how to give improvement. And I, and I really think the future of learning is around that, where there's going to be a constant tutor for a kid to help them along in life to become the best person that they can be. And I, it's that accelerator that Smoke talks about. And it's really that 
AI, that personal assistant is going to know them in every way, right? It makes me wonder too, because we're actually, as we're recording this, I've uh, been steeped this week in high quality instructional materials conversations. And when I think about digital materials, I wonder if there will be an add-on for the school assistant for students that is specific to those materials for each of their subject areas so that it can really align with the things that they're interacting with and having questions about and reading on a regular basis. And I'm not sure, maybe it has that power already, but maybe it is sort of manufactured by those different places in a way that integrates, yeah, with that. Khan Academy has Comigo right now, which is, uh, there's a cost affected to it. Uh, they're working with OpenAI and they have GPT-4. Um, there's guardrails around that. I have an account, Smoke has an account. I've been working with it a little bit, but I think what's great about it is having those guardrails. There's, you know, if they have a question specifically on that unit, the guardrails are there to not let it sway from there. And it, it will continuously help the student try to reinforce and represent the problem so that the student begins to learn it more. And I think the great thing about that is hopefully gaps are removed, right? Because we, you know, still in elementary and middle school, we still promote that kid, even if they didn't get the standard, right? And so if you get that tutor that continuously reinforces the problem in a time frame that is much larger than the teacher could even be there to help that student, man. Hopefully we we close some gaps. What I'm most excited about with AI is how we are able to remove barriers to learning. That is what the essential summary of personalized learning is all about. How do we make information accessible? Meaning that when I look at that information, I can make sense of it accessible to me. What is my need in order to make sense of that work, of that content? And as I'm designing for my students, this really is design thinking, all with text. If you really stop and think about how it all works or the engineering process, it's this, the five E's. This is all going in that same experience. If I'm designing a learning experience for my students, I need to know my children as students and as people, learners and people. That is the basis of education, the relationship, and helping them understand how they can grow as academic people, right? So if I know my students well, and I know that Rob's in my classroom and he's really excited about Star Wars. He loves the dark side people, just a little inside note. <laughs> he's a fan of Darth Vader. <laughs> so I know that this is one of his passions, but I also know he has a passion for culinary elements. He loves to cook. He loves to grill. He loves to smoke meats. He does all these things. These are two of his passions with the third one being around personal health. He loves to run. He loves to bike and cycle as well. But I know him as a person, but I also know how he thinks and works and processes information. He works very quickly. His mind moves very quickly. And he likes information in short bits of data versus big, long talking sorts of things. So that's what I, how I need to know my students as well. How are they as humans? What are their passions? What are their talents? What are their interests, their curiosities? And how do they learn? Then when we take that idea in design thinking, you would design a product so that would meet that end user. The difference in a classroom is that we may have 27 different end users. 
So how do I know all of them well? As a middle school educator, um, I may only see those students 45 minutes to 50 minutes a day for a whole year. And that's not a lot of time where your football coach gets to spend hours and hours with a student for many years or a band teacher who may get to see a student from fifth grade to 12th grade. They are very blessed in having that extra time with students. But this is something that I have to wrestle with. So in the classroom, I will do interest inventories. I will spend time in deep conversation as a whole class doing book talks, whatever that may be, so I can get that data that I'm looking for. Now I have the data I need. How do I retake or reimagine that figurative language lesson to meet the needs of someone like Rob, who needs kinesthetic get up and move activities? He needs that in order to process the information. He needs short think, pair, share kinds of moments so that he can process it quickly. He can think through it. And then boom, he's ready to talk to another person. So it needs to be quick and effective. How do I meet it for someone like myself who does better to think out loud? I value those kinesthetic pieces. So if I'm going to do brainstorming with students, I may take them outside and walk the perimeter of the building with a brainstorming activity, walking with students. I know all those pieces. But I may use AI to help me generate what are the discussion questions that can be done in that think, pair, share. What could be pause points while we're doing the perimeter brainstorming outside of my classroom that would help the students who need more processing time. They don't move like Rob and I like this. They need to pause, truly chew on something, and then come back to it. Those students do better if they have a way to make a visual to process what I'm being asked of them to consider. So how about we take a moment and as we're walking outside, let's take some sidewalk chalk. Pause point, stop, grab your chalk guys. I want you to make a visual of what you're thinking right now. Stop, that, that allows those slower processors to stop and think and through. While those of us who are kinesthetic and moving quickly are kind of like, okay, I've got this too. Let me see what you're doing. I'm processing your data quickly. AI is just going to help me design what I'm already imagining in my head to be more effective. And I can build in intentional metacognition as we go along. That is something that I generally haven't had time to do in the classroom because there's just not time, right? But now I have a thought partner that can help me see and design experiences with metacognition that don't require full essays. I can do snapshots of things happen in the minds of my students and then guide them to the answers that they need. That is personalized learning done magically with kids. I get so excited thinking about that as well uh, and how much time is saved and the ability to be able to design those types of experiences through, and this is a, a summary maybe, or at least how what you're sharing there kind of has landed with me as well. In every aspect from brainstorming and just conceptualizing what we might do, to implementing the idea uh, in a very functional way as the facilitator of that learning experience. And then also uh, in the development of the materials. And I think that technology is only gonna get better as, as ideas start to be able to move from text to different platforms and slide decks and video to audio or audio to video and podcasts. There's just gonna be so many different 
ways in which it pivots almost seamlessly in a way that's going to diversify some of those things. And really to get back to the point that Rob was mentioned earlier, I love that the technology is already being designed to not give students the answer, but to lead them through questions to discovering it for themselves. And so as we find ways to leverage this in an educational setting uh, across all of these that we've had a chance to visit about today, uh, I'm excited. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. With a healthy respect to the uh, challenges uh, and the ongoing sensitivity, some of the things we've covered as well. Uh, and this has just been such a fun conversation uh, to learn from both of you and your experiences. And I, I wish we could just chat all day, but we do have to kind of break things in for a little bit of a close. Uh, and so I guess if you had a parting message or a reflection, or I would even open it up too to say if there's something that you see as the next challenge for you that you're starting to work through right now, I think find those kind of things interesting also. So uh, just a note to end on. I think for myself, it's understanding that you're going to have as a leader or as a person in the education industry, you're going to have people that want to bury their head in the sand. You're going to have people that want to block it. You're going to have people that panic. And I think it's just helping them to have an awareness to be thoughtful with AI and when you can get to that stage of thoughtfulness, I think that's where the magic happens. Like when someone can see personally for themselves how they can improve, and maybe that's something that they need to experience personally, helping them go through that process, uh, I've seen help our staff get there and help them to use it. And also just thinking, if you're the subject matter expert, you need to review the data that's in the output just to make sure that it's accurate. And, you know, I think in the end, the teacher is the subject matter expert of the stuff that they're delivering. And it's be intentional and review the review the outputs. And I would say here is a prime opportunity for us to really talk interdisciplinary cross-curricular collaborations, especially in the secondary levels for the use of AI. As I am working with a band teacher, and maybe I'm working with a, a seventh grade math teacher. Where do these two content areas intersect? ChatGPT can help me pull those points together if I am looking to reach a certain standard in one area and a performance standard in another content area, how we can link these two together. Right now, our systems are still built with ring a bell, go into another box, ring a bell, go into another box. It is time for us to have the deeper conversations around how we reimagine learning experiences for students. We have the tools to help us wrestle with those really big, wicked problems around scheduling, wicked problems around equitable access to the arts, as well as to the STEM fields, as well as to literacy elements. We've got the tools now that will help us solve those problems. So I think our next challenge is what do we really want our students to experience in school? How much do we want them to be excited to go to school? That's an essential question. We can now have deeper conversations around intrinsic motivation of learning and help them with their career paths. Let's do it. It's just now we've got the tools to help us. We just need to come to the table. I'm so fired up right now. I love that. <laughs> you two are both such uh, edu rock stars in all that you do and in your service within Wichita Public Schools, uh, but to the larger education community nationally, internationally. I'm so grateful for your time today, sharing through this medium. 
Uh, and it has been really fun to have the opportunity to learn from you. And so thanks for taking time out of your day uh, to share with others. Uh, keep up the great work. And we hope to continue to learn from you uh, as you grow uh, and go forward in this AI space. Doing the work with you, bud. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew.